Brothers and sisters, this is Silver Star 1982, and our brother John McConville is to speak to us now under the general theme of the second letter of Peter, and today's subject is destruction and deliverance. It's been wonderful so far, hasn't it, listening to our beloved brother Peter as he talks to us about the marvelous hope of salvation that we have. And telling us and reminding us about the attributes of God that we have to add into this faith that has been given to us who are the called and the elect, encouraging us to strive to diligently seek to make that calling and election sure. And then he goes on to give us the, the encouragement about the eyewitness that he had. He was a living witness of seeing Jesus Christ come in his power and glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, letting us know for sure that he was not following cunningly devised fables and that he was not leading anyone else away from God's holy word. And then he gives us one more piece of advice. He says, we have a sure word of prophecy. That the mind of God has been revealed to us. That it's just laying there waiting for us to take it into ourselves that our hearts might light up with the word of truth and it might shine forth to all around us. And he concludes that first chapter with the day star in our hearts. Says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation it doesn't come out of the imagination of our minds. The prophecy was given to us by holy men of old, moved by the Spirit of God. And just as if we wondered about what the transfiguration was, we go to Peter and we let Peter tell us what happened up on that mount. And so we compare the Word of God with the Word of God. We put it together and we understand Rightly dividing those things that can lead us unto salvation. Isn't that marvelous that our God has provided such a, a basic understanding that is so simple that the, easiest, the simplest person, the meanest person can take this to himself. You don't have to be a brain even if you are. You don't have to be. Because our God has made something worthwhile that can fill our being with goodness and mercy and love joy and happiness and understanding that the powers of this world do not have. Our actor friend who's in the White House doesn't know anything. Even though he's got the most powerful country, well almost the most powerful country in the palm of his hand. And you sit here with more knowledge about what is going to happen in the very near future, because God has called you and he's given you an intimate picture of those things that are just in front of us. Thrill at that, brethren and sisters. Let it make you excited so that all you want to do is wait for the day and work for the day when you can be a part of that future. It's wonderful. Except no private interpret. We don't have to Worry about how it should be interpreted. We're told in these scriptures. Well, I know we have little differences. We're going to run into one this morning. But it's 
not a private interpretation. We take scripture with scripture and we put that together. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men. Holy men of God spake as they were moved. Now that's how we should speak. Oh, it doesn't come upon us. Some of our very own, you know, some of our own loved brothers and sisters are following cunningly devised fables, being told that the Holy Spirit is entering into them and causing them to be enlightened and moved and pushed forward. That's one of the fables of men, and it will destroy us if we allow the ourselves to indulge in that. This is the Holy Spirit that will move you. Get it inside. Fill up your mind and your heart with this. And that will move you to greater heights than any of the denominations will ever rise to in the world. The Word, the knowledge of God is what builds up. And that's why we're here, that this Word can be packed in a little tighter a little more full. And after Peter's given all this encouragement to us, after he's moved us along this path, he then says, but. And we find that all the way through the scriptures, but. And there it is. In the second chapter and at the first verse. But. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And we're right back to where we began at the beginning of this school in that introductory talk where Jeremiah advised us of this false prophet Hananiah who was leading the people astray. Oh, don't worry, he says. In two years, everything will be great. It's no different than Peter's day. False prophets also among the people. Deuteronomy, the 13th chapter. We all know these, but we've got to remind ourselves. We have to Stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. The 13th chapter of Deuteronomy. First verse. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he giveth thee a sign or a wonder and even if the sign or the wonder come to pass Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or unto the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And that's where we sit today. That's where every true Son of God has been. God leaves us for a time. Remember Hezekiah? He left Hezekiah for a time to prove his heart. And every one of us are brought into this kind of circumstance 
that we might be revealed for all to see. God knows what's in our hearts. You can't fool him. But he opens us up. He flays us so that we can be inspected by everybody around to see if we are true, if we are pure, if we are a clean individual. And so he leaves us for a moment to try us. And a very persuasive fellow, a, a, a miracle worker, could come to us and encourage us to do something that is contrary to what is truth, what is found in the word of God. We don't dare, brethren and sisters, ever allow that kind of thing to happen. Matthew the seventh chapter, and at the fifteenth verse. Jesus, in his platform for kingship, Sermon on the Mount, beware of false prophets, seven and fifteen, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ravening wolves. It would be easy, you know, to, to run away when you see a big bear approach you. <laughs> That's easy. Or you see a, a ferocious wolf baring his teeth. I mean, you know when to back up and to get out and to take another path. You know that. But when it's a harmless little sheep, you kind of sidle up to it. Put your arm around it. You're very friendly. But he says that's the way false prophets are. Remember we said we're speaking from a platform. Well, who are we? We're one of you. You're one of us. We weigh each other's words. You're not afraid to come and say, Brother, you said this wrong. Don't ever be afraid. No one of us is higher than another. One may have a little more knowledge of some particular thing. But that's great, because then we can share it. But weigh it against the word of God, because Jesus knew. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Look great, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Why wolves? Because they just tear you up. They just cause you to have no end of problems. Well, how do you know then? One sheep from another sheep, he tells you. You shall know them by their fruits, by how they perform, how they act, what they do. Do they have the attributes of God? You know where to find the fruit of the Spirit? Our brother Paul has left it for us. Jesus Christ has given it to him to reveal unto us. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Where do you get your good fruit from? How do you know? <laughs> this is it, isn't it? You don't find fruit anywhere else. Get on the right trunk. Look at the right branches. Eat the right kind of things and you'll start producing and producing. And you'll recognize 
when it's either a good fruit or a bad fruit. Because it's really not a bad fruit at all. It's a bad work of flesh. That's what he's telling us. You don't think Jesus just wrote the Sermon on the Mount. Well, he didn't write it or delivered the Sermon on the Mount just for a few Israelites that were following him in his day. You don't believe that, do you? You believe these words belong to you. A message for all generations that apply at all times. These are written for our benefit, just as the prophets of old, the sure word of prophecy being talked of by a person read or rhyme. That's the place to look to find out what is happening, what is being said. In the 24th chapter, of course, at the 11th verse of Matthew. It isn't just going to be a few false prophets. Matthew 24 and 11. He says, And many, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. It's just not a couple of people who who happen to not be thinking and follow. It's many. Many are called. Just a few are chosen. Why? Because many are being deceived. Don't like that message. 24th verse of the same chapter. For there shall arise false Christs, false saviors, false people who think they're anointed with the Holy Spirit. They'll arise. False prophets shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, They shall deceive the very elect. Now, do we think we're above that? Oh, I hope we are. I pray every day for our brotherhood. We have a household that's been built on the foundations and understanding of the Word of God, left for our edification. Brethren and sisters, we have an obligation to build upon that foundation. We have to understand that word. We have to know where it's leading us. We have to take it and use it as our guideline through every facet of our life. Sometimes it's not easy, but it's there for our benefit and In a wicked and degenerate age, it's so easy to take the easy path. It looks so enticing. But Jesus warns us about that very thing. Well, the warning came right from the very beginning of time. And that's what Peter is doing. He's he's re-echoing the words of his Lord. He'd become converted. He no longer stood on his own uh, strength. Oh, no matter what these do... I'll follow you. Jesus says, yes, well, when you're converted, when you become part of the Word, when you're manifesting forth my glory, strengthen your brethren. That's what he's doing. He's writing this to strengthen us, 
But there were false prophets also among the people, he said. First epistle of John, fourth chapter. You know it. I know you know it. Because John said the same thing in the first verse. Beloved, it's only out of love that these things are said. It isn't because we want to talk about wickedness or deceit. It's because it's necessary to be reminded. If God puts it in the book for us, we can't just ignore it. But, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's right. Many false prophets have gone out into the world, and hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. This becomes one of our great fundamental principles, isn't it? This is life eternal to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's one of our fundamental basic principles, and we've got to hold on to that. We want to try the spirits to see if they are of God. Oh, they sound good. They went out from them, but they were not of them. Revelation, 16th chapter, tells us about a great false prophet. 16th chapter, 13th verse. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Do you know him? You know that false prophet has a great deal of charisma moving through the world right now, gathering peoples to him. That false prophet, you know him? Don't ever forget who he is just because he can speak so many languages. That's not the criteria of truth. Do you know who he is? Try the spirits, whether they be of God or whether they be of men. False prophet, 19th chapter, Revelation, 20th verse. And the beast was taken with him, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. And these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The second death, the penal punishment of God. No escape from the Punishment that is meted out by God. When the judgments of God are in the earth, the false prophet goes. Those judgments are about to be put into the earth. There is a short time of quietness 
peacefulness. And then sudden destruction cometh upon them. We don't want to be deceived, brethren and sisters. We do not want to be deceived. It says there were false prophets. Peter says, but there were false prophets among the people, and there were, constantly leading people. to Even Moses, he comes out, brings the children of Israel out of that darkness of Egypt, gives them from God everything that they need, and constantly there's those sons of Belial who are straining to get him overthrown. Who is this Moses? After he'd given them everything. We don't want to fall into that kind of circumstance because he goes on to say, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Terrible, isn't it? False teachers among you. Find out who upholds the word of God. Find out. Search the scriptures daily. Even if he's Paul. See if these things are so. You won't fall short. You stand on a rock when you stand on the word of God. It's not my words, is it? That's our God speaking through Peter, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Comforter coming through our beloved Apostle Peter, the converted Peter, who is about to depart, leaving for us one last message that we might hold on even as he held on. And it doesn't matter if we're crucified. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if we're burned in oil, if we're sawn asunder. What difference does it make? Whatever it costs us, let's recognize the truth and the falsehood. Because false teachers bring in damnable heresies. That word "damnable" is the same word as destruction in that chapter, in that verse. It's the same word as pernicious in the next verse. Same word. Damnable heresy. And they deny the Lord. You know how you deny the Lord? Whenever you say something that's contrary to what he said. Because in a word you're saying, his word is not truth. And so you deny Jesus. He is no longer the word of God made flesh. That's how you deny Jesus. For he that heareth you, he said to the apostles, heareth me. And he that heareth me, heareth him that sent me. And we can't deny our Lord. We can't deny our God. We accept it. Bring in damnable, destructive, pernicious heresies that take us away, even denying the Lord that brought them, or excuse me, bought them. And what was the price? wasn't anything you gave, was it? You just accepted. What was the price? We never want to forget that, do we? Do we? And our God knew we would tend to forget, so he says, I want you to do something. Remember. And Jesus then says, this do in remembrance of me. 
And so we do it. We would never, ever just deliberately stay away from that act of worship, of remembering our Lord. Never, because that was the price of any hope that we've got at all. Unless we're purged from sins by that blood that was shed, by that body that was given on our behalf, there is no hope for us. We would never want to ever deny our Lord. We want to keep it fresh and burning in our minds at all times so that if anybody tries to lead us just a little bit away from him, we would deny them access to our life. Because that is our life bound up in Jesus Christ and we don't want any part of anything that would take anything away from that. Now you're the only one, brother and sister, that can do this. Nobody else can do it for you, can Salvation is an individual matter. A brother cannot redeem another. He can just, like Peter is doing for us, encourage, stimulate, stir up our mind that we might look again into our hearts to make sure there is nothing in there that is being causing us to become defiled. Nothing. We all make mistakes. We all say things that are bad on occasion. We all go someplace we don't really approve of in our hearts. But it does not become a practice with us, does it? We would never let that become a, a practiced, hardened, unchangeable habit. Because when it does, it takes severe amputation to recover from such a thing. Now we, won't, we don't want swift destruction. The Lord brought them and shall bring upon themselves swift destruction. And this scary thing about this is many shall follow their pernicious ways. What makes you and I so, so strong that we would not follow many? What makes us think that we can stand up against the, the whole crush, the weight of our peers? You can't do it. You could do it on your own. But when he says, Paul, I could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And how did he do it? Christ was not there. He prayed. He had that word that was given to him and it filled him. I can't tell you that enough because that's what Peter's telling us. It filled him so that when he spoke out came the word of God. He didn't have to live under his own strength. He lived under that word. It became a part of him so that he could respond to any invitation to go wrong, even to his closest friend, Jesus Christ could say, Satan, or get thee behind me, Satan, because you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Oh, Peter learned that lesson well. And you know, Jesus loved him when he said that. It wasn't a matter of being hard-hearted or thick-headed. 
Jesus loved Peter. And Peter was only thinking he was trying to do good for his Lord when he says, this shall not be so. But Jesus was so full of the word of God that he recognized the difference of this so-called sheep who was putting forth flesh instead of spirit. Now we tell one another, I suppose, brother, I can tell you because I have never done it, but I, I don't think what you're doing is just right. Mm. Have you ever done that to a brother or a sister? When we do it, we do it in love, don't we? I mean, we emulate our master and we do it in love. But we have to do it. We have to ex expect the worst and pray for the best. Peter loved these people. He loves us, even though he had never seen us because he's emulating his Lord. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Have your actions ever caused anybody outside of the truth to think of the truth as something that is not so very good? I suppose every one of us could take episodes or maybe just incidents in our life and wish they had never happened because we brought disrepute upon our Lord. That is a sad thing. And that's what happens. The truth shall be evil spoken of. I am the way, the life, and the truth. You would cut off your arm, wouldn't you, rather than bring any disparagement upon Christ? And that's what we do, though, when we abuse the word of God, when we follow false ways, false ideas, when we allow them in our midst. In the third verse, he says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, that's the same word, logos, you know, that's the same word. Logos. But it's feigned logos. It is not real. It's pretended. Oh, it sounds good, but it's not right. It's not according to truth. And we would never think that could happen, but there it is. With feigned words, they make merchandise of you. You know what a merchandiser is? He buys for gain. You go out and buy a loaf of bread, put three cents onto it, sell it to somebody. Well, that's what happens with false prophets. They're buying for gain. But it's you who are suffering. You're something just to be bantied about, to be given from one to another, for benefit only for the one who is putting forth these kinds of things. With feigned words, they make merchandise of you. 
whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's not delayed. We might think, well, where is Christ then? Goodness, time keeps going on and on. I never thought I would be back up here. I never did. I thought Christ would be in the earth. And we keep saying, you know, some brethren say, well, he delays his coming. He's not delayed his coming. There's a set time to favor Zion. It's me who is anxious. I want him to come. Cecilia, <laughs> this fall, she and I keep looking for her. The fall, hoping this would be a good time for Christ to come. Anxious to see our Lord. He's not delaying, however, it's us who are anxious. We're looking for the day when we can stand with our Lord and Master. It'll happen. Have patience. Wait for it. Immerse yourself in the Word of God and fill your mind with it and look to the joy that is set before us because for false prophets, false teachers, the damnation slumbereth not. It's about to come. And if Peter says it to his generation, and it did come very quickly, it's coming to ours the same way. Can you remember when we first had uh, news of the first war with Israel, how this class swelled? And our midweek class, oh, it swelled. Oh, the brotherhood was so excited. Israel was back in the land fighting for their life beating everybody in sight, growing stronger day by day, and the class is swelled. Christ is coming. And it's been how many years? And the classes have dwindled off to the same dozen or two. Oh, brethren and sisters, these things ought not so to be. There is no difference between 30 years ago and now, except that the day is just at hand for our Lord to come. But the examples Peter gives now are of destruction. We don't like to think about destruction, but there they are, of destruction. For if God spared not, where was his love and his mercy? But if God spared not. The cup of iniquity had been filled. The warnings had been given. The prophets rose up early and time after time we are bombarded with the fulfillment of prophecy through Israel and Russia and the degradation in the world and every day we are coached and warned by the newspapers themselves of the coming of Jesus Christ. Every day Rising up early with a morning paper, you can see it, and there's God speaking to you. If you listen to the sure word of prophecy, don't let the cup of iniquity fill up in our lives so that it will be said, God spared not the many called and just delivered a few Which side are we on? 
You don't care about numbers, do you? You care about, care about quality. You care about righteousness. And then he goes on in these two verses. He spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them unto chains of darkness reserved unto judgment. He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And I know for many, many years I, I looked at that as, as our brother Thomas has talked to us about the pre-Adamic creation being destroyed. It doesn't really tell us there who these angels are. We try and weigh Scripture with Scripture. We try to determine just what damnation he's talking about. Who these angels were. Mighty ones. Mighty ones. Messengers of some kind. God spared not those angels that sinned. Men. For many years I just accepted Brother Thomas's pre-Adamic thought that these angels were destroyed. And that may be true. I have no problem with that. And then for many years I accepted the idea that, oh no, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, Numbers, the 16th chapter, particularly the 30th verse, cast down, you know, in the chains of darkness, reserved unto judgment, because men sinned. They were the messages of God. They were brought forth, given this position, this authority to carry out for for God as a principality and they rejected their estate and they were cast down to be reserved unto judgment because Korah just wasn't satisfied with the high and holy calling that he had. And he wasn't. They wanted the topmost spot. We don't want the top spot. Doorman is great in the kingdom. Because you're in the kingdom. We're not looking for high things. We're looking for lovely things. Just to be able to stand next to one another and talk about the bad old days. And dwell upon the good days that we now are enjoying together in the kingdom. We don't worry about stations. We aren't seeking with our flesh to sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus Christ. We just want to bow before him at his feet. And whatever God has apportioned or allotted for us in that day, we accept it. That's wonderful. And so today we don't strive to be a mighty person in the ecclesia. What is a mighty person in the ecclesia? One who's a minister. One who gets up every morning and serves the brotherhood. Visits the sick. Gives a cup of cold water to someone in the name of a prophet. Who gives his clothing to those that are naked. And those in prison he visits. Isn't that what we're doing today? Isn't that the great one? Isn't that what Jesus did? He came and he ministered. He emptied himself of all 
his own desires, his own wants, and he filled himself with the word of God so that he could give and give and give. And that's what we do, isn't it? We're satisfied. We don't want to be a Korah, Dathan, and Abiram who strive for mighty things, high and lofty things. Now, the height we want is on top of a mountain, maybe. I understand someone up this morning. We don't look for high aspirations. We look to be engulfed in the word of God and just be a part of that which is the body. A little fingernail, maybe. Something that can be cut and pruned made to look lovely. That's what we want. Just a, a small part. You know, it can't be a humble part in the kingdom age. It's only humble people who will get into the kingdom. You know that. Only humble people will be in there. But that's what, not what you're called for. You're called for glorious existence. An elevated place in the kingdom of God. Ruling over the kingdoms of men. The only person worth being up there is one who's humble. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were not that. In Jude, we have the same account. These men had sinned. These angels, these messengers, these mighty ones. And in the sixth verse of Jude, it says, and the angels which kept not their first estate. And in my margin it says principalities. The first estate, it's a word that means really beginnings. They didn't accept what was first allotted to them in the beginning. That was the sin. The angels which sinned, it says, in the fourth verse of Second Peter 2. And in Jude, it says, the sin was they kept not their first estate. They left their own habitation, their own household, their own position. They left that. Well, that certainly was true of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. I have no qualm with that. But yet, as I read of late, it seems to me he's, talking about just Noah. For the sons of God. Remember, in the fifth chapter, men began to call themselves by the name of the Lord or take the name of the Lord unto themselves. They became part of the household of God. And did they maintain that high and lofty calling in their beginnings, did they? What happens in the sixth chapter and at the first verse? Why, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, beautiful creatures, give you a good time every day. And they grew to be mighty men in their own eyes, giants in the earth. Oh, what a catastrophe struck in that day. In that day, that catastrophe was so much greater than the small opening of the earth for a few people to go down into and to be covered over. 
The whole world had gone crazy. The whole world had been steeped in the flesh. And God said, it's enough. It repenteth me that I have made man. And he delivered them into chains of darkness, reserved unto judgment. Now, I don't, don't really care. It doesn't bother me which of those three interpretations you would like to place on that. They're all scriptural. They all kind of fit the fundamental things that we believe in. But get the message. Destruction comes just as sure as we're in this room for those that live in iniquity, for those that are just wrapped up in this life, marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking, living a life as though nothing else mattered upon the face of this earth, as though time would continue to go on forever. It will not go on forever. Time is an expediency that has been given to man and only for 7,000 years. It's just a little drop in the bucket in eternity. And eternity is the way we have to measure our life. It's eternity that we have to think about. What's going to happen to you in eternity? When this little plan and purpose of God that is so beautifully packed together by our Father has finished, will we go on to the eighth day? To the new beginning and really see the joys that are set before us? Or will we be in this destruction? For God spared not that group of people. Spared not the old world, that old arrangement of things. But he saved Noah, the eighth person. The eighth. He was going to be the new beginning. Are you getting into the ark? Are you building it up? Are you taking your time now while you've yet time and constructing the ship of God? That's all you've got to do. There is nothing else that's important. You've been told, I've been told, that the flood is coming as it was in the days of Noah, said Christ. Peter picks up his Lord's message and he, the last thing he can give to his friends, to his loved ones, is as it was in the days of Noah, but even if the old world will not be despised or will not be saved, Noah, the eighth, the eighth. Too many people today are living on the fifth the booze that is running around, befuddling their minds, and they don't know what is right. They don't get enough kick out of that. They go to dope. Many, many preachers are going out and saving these people. And they make him twofold more the child of hell by teaching him that Jesus is God. Oh, brethren and sisters, we're living in evil times. False prophets are everywhere. They're causing us to be relaxing our hold upon the tools that are required to build the ark of God. So that when that flood of destruction comes upon the face of the earth, a few can be saved. That's what he's talking about. 
And you know what he was? You know how he, how he maintained his integrity, how he maintained his balance? It tells you right there. He was a preacher of righteousness. Now everybody, you think that was just written for a half a dozen brethren who can get up and speak and tell people about righteousness? No, that verse is for every person in this room. You have to be a preacher of righteousness. Noah had three sons. They followed in his footsteps. They helped build the boat. And just by building the boat, they became a preacher because they said, this thing is right. This is the ship that is going to save. And this is the way. Come ye and be a part of it. You know, the only ones that responded outside of Noah's family, poor animals. Poor animals, they were saved. Two by two they came and went into the ark in the mercy of God. Preacher of righteousness. He spared not the old world, but he saved Noah. And he brought in a flood upon that world. That arrangement of things of the ungodly. That's what you find. That's what you find in the Mount Olivet Prophecy. Just two examples is what Jesus gave. Just two. And it kind of seems appropriate to me that Peter, following his Lord, says, here's the two examples my Lord gave. Noah, and what was the other one? And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, Condemning them with an overthrow. Remember. Remember what? Lot's wife. Oh, we remember good things, yes. But you don't want to just forget all the evil. Remember Lot's wife. He goes on to say here, he condemned them with an overthrow. Making them an example for those that after should live ungodly. If we are preachers of righteousness, should we be telling this world, this ungodly world, of what's going to happen to it? Sure we should. We can't go around patting people on the head and saying, oh, you can do it. I hear that all the time from preachers. Oh, you've got what it takes. There's a little bit of God in you. Just open up your heart and let it happen. God will move in your life. The Holy Spirit will do it even though you can't. Oh, I get so sick of that message. God will move in your life if you'll move in his life. When the prodigal man came back to his father, his father ran out to meet him, but he had to come back. He was coming back to the household. He was coming back to build a boat. Oh, I know. We all wander away. We don't like these things, but we don't dare deny that they're there and that we are here in this evil and adulterous generation. Because just as Sodom and Gomorrah, who was living to the hilt, was condemned with an overthrow, making an example for the ungodly, he delivered just Lot. Not only Lot. 
He delivered more than love, but it was just, righteous love. That's who was delivered. It wasn't the, if only we could find ten people. Abraham pleaded, ten? If only we could find ten people, just enough to fill up the household. There wasn't even eight that got into the boat. Even his own children, his own sons, I don't know if he had sons, his own daughters, laughed at him. Why? For the same reason, for the very same reason, they laughed at him as was done in the days of Noah. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and his daughters in Sodom and Gomorrah saw that they liked this way of life. His own wife would not act like the bride of Christ and followed. Oh, she did for a little bit. She tried, but she'd been so steeped and wrapped up in the material cares and welfare of her life She looked back. Put your hand to the plow, brethren and sisters. Sow the word. Plow and never look back. Make your course true. Never look back. We are in these days. Sodomy. Oh. We know what it is down south. You know the easy way to get around homosexuality? Oh, it's a sickness. Isn't that a nice word? Isn't that a nice phrase? Oh, it's a sickness. These people have to be treated. God had a treatment. It's sin. You can call it anything else you want. It is sin, brethren and sisters. Let's label sin for what it is. It is sin. And it has to be stopped. It has to be put out, and it will be. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah turned into ashes, condemned with an overthrow. But with all of this that Peter pours out, he still gives us that hope, just like our Lord did, for he says, and delivered just Lot, who was vexed with filthy behavior of the wicked. That's what conversation is. It's that filthy behavior of the wicked. For if that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed in his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Oh, he did a very bad thing, did Lot. Very, very bad. And we never want to minimize it. You know what it is, don't you? You know what it is. He went in and dwelt among them. Oh, he stayed righteous. He stayed righteous. His righteous heart was vexed. He couldn't understand why all of this was going on. And his daughters, married out of the truth, went with men who were unsavory. And his wife seemed to be so involved in the community. He took them there. Oh, he was righteous. 
but he didn't help his family. Tried to lead them out. They laughed at him afterwards. Sometimes that happens. Your sin has to be paid for. It has to be paid for. Sometimes we repent and we turn from our wickedness, but the consequences go on, brethren and sisters, and what we give to our children, they're going to pay the price, and our heart is going to break, and our heart has broke. And how many of ours we've led astray just by saying, it's all right to live among them. You can be in the world as long as you're not of it. Oh, that's a true phrase, but get out if you can. Keep yourself separate from it as much as possible so that your wife, your husband, your children are not engulfed by these things that you can stand aloof from. We owe that to one another because we are all one flesh. We are one body. And we don't stick one arm in the fire and keep the other one working good. We keep the whole thing going in one direction. Two examples given by Peter that we don't like to think about, but they belong in our day. And that's why they're there. Let's build. Let's stay together. Brother John, the next session will commence in 30 minutes' time, if God is willing. And we now have an opportunity for a break. But just before we do that... Um, some of you may not know Brother Bill Harris, who is taking the orders for the photographs. Brother Bill, would you like to stand, please? And Brother Bill will be taking orders right now.